0: You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Well, our Bible reading is Acts uh, chapter 8. So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Last week we were reading of the, the great persecution which uh, erupted in in the church. And because of that, uh, the believers are scattered. And that's where we pick it up in Acts uh, chapter 8. And uh, last week, we were introduced to uh, Saul. Um, He drops out of the action and we pick up again in chapter 9 with with Saul. And and then from 9 onwards, Luke turns to to consider the inclusion of the the Gentiles, the non-Jews, into the church. But chapter 8 is there in between. It's about the inclusions of the Samaritans into the church. So here Um, hear these words. Acts 8, reading from verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you to the lord that nothing of what you've said may come upon me now when they had testified and spoken the word of the lord they returned to jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the, uh, of the samaritans Well, the passage speaks of the, the, the entrance of the gospel into Samaria, and it breaks up into those five chunks that you see sort of written uh, in the sheet there. That the gospel enters, and there's this great joy. And then in 8 to 13, the gospel enters, and there's this great shake-up. There's a sort of a before and after, and we have Simon Magus and how it, how it affects him. And then 14 to 17, the gospel enters, and it's actually, we find there's this great moment here of redemptive history. The apostles are there, people are brought in. There's this great unique moment in redemptive history. We see the, 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 the giving of the spirit. And then uh, 18 to 24, we're back with Simon. The gospel enters, there's this sort of shake-up, this clash of worldviews. But then verse 25, um, the gospel, really, the gospel continues throughout Samaria. That's that's uh, what we have In in Luke's gospel, often we have an event explained, and then afterwards, we have the gospel increasing and continuing to grow uh, at the end. So we'll we'll go through these five uh, units. So the gospel enters, and there's just great joy in Samaria. Those who were scattered about went preaching the word. I think of that scattering. There was this this terrible persecution um, that, which was an incredibly negative and sort of painful thing. In one respect, people uh, dragged from their homes. You know, moving house is is stressful at, at the best of times. We we often hate it. Uh, but just think of these believers in Jerusalem. They had to move house, but it was because they were being pursued, and they had to leave with whatever belongings they had, and then scatter to. Well, some of them scattered to Samaria, a, a place where they could not expect to receive a, a ready welcome. So we think it's a, a painful thing, a negative thing. But we see how God uses this to extend the gospel and to increase the preaching of the gospel. We think of scattering, think of seed being scattered and just uh, the gospel increasing. Or, or think of how that, that persecution came in uh, Jerusalem, it was as if the authorities were trying to stamp out the fires that were spreading there the fire of the gospel, and all they succeeded in doing was spreading the fire of the gospel further afield. So that that persecution, as it were for them, backfired, and God used that for um, the advance of the gospel. And so one of the things we see in Acts, which is so encouraging, is that it is the Lord who is sovereign over the advance of his gospel, over the advance of his purposes. It's it's not really the apostles who are there in control of everything. Very often they're sort of catching up with the action. We see actually it is the Lord, even through these great difficulties and troubles, who is advancing the action of, of redemptive history. And I think that's so encouraging for us, isn't it, as we look around the world as we, we think about our own lives and there's so much you can look around you see so much chaos out there and, and perhaps you look at your own life and you see so much chaos sort of really pressing in close in your own life Well, we can trust in the midst of that actually that the Lord is advancing his gospel even as you sort of look at what's happening in in America or China or wherever you think actually the truth is the Lord is advancing his purposes was at a personal level, I love to think of the, of the story of Joseph in the Old Testament and how those terrible things were happening to him. And yet through that, God was advancing his purposes. And it's a similar thing here. This great persecution that came upon the Jerusalem church was brutal and horrible and awful. And yet we stand back and we see actually the Lord has advanced his own purposes here. And so that's that's an encouragement for us as we we look around the world. It seems chaotic or or we think about our own lives. We're called to trust in the Lord and in his sovereign purposes for for us and for his world. And we're caught up in this work of God. And he's the one who's leading leading his purposes on. So those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And that expression, uh, preaching the word, uh, comes up many times in chapter 8, it Comes up well, it comes up five times, um, and it's translated four times, preaching the word, and one times telling um, the good news, actually, well, it's verse 4, verse 12, verse 25, verse 35, verse 40, and it's the word there which is used um, to proclaim good news. It's, it's kind of gospelling. it's the angelion it's the, the preaching of the gospel. So it's not necessarily a formal preach here, but the believers who went out They were taking the gospel with them. And so we have Philip as one of those who was scattered. He went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed to them the Christ. And we've already been introduced to Philip as one of the men set apart to help organising the feeding programme of the widows. Here God thrusts him into this new situation. He's publicly proclaiming the gospel in Samaria. And we think, we've, we've mentioned already, just think of that, that ancient hatred that there was between the, the Samaritans and, and the Jews. And this division had gone back really to, well, the, the time of Solomon was the last time there'd been that united kingdom. And, um, and then it'd been, it'd been a, a divided kingdom with, with, um, with Jeroboam. And then, and then the, the northern kingdom, remember their the kings had all been bad kings. Um, and then they were carted off to exile and brought back with, um, or the Babylon- they resettled with people from Babylonia. So the, that that northern kingdom was a mix. It sort of had a, a Jewish, well, they still had the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, but then it was kind of a corrupted Jewish worship overlaid with all sorts of pagan practices. And so there's this great division and hatred, and yet um, Philip is there preaching Jesus Christ, preaching the Messiah in Samaria. The time has come. Jesus had been there before, but now the time has come with Jesus ascended into heaven. The gospel is going to be richly, fully made known in Samaria. We're not told what he preached, so we're to assume that the content of that message was the content that we hear on the day of, the day of Pentecost, that actually Jesus is Lord and Christ. He would have been able to preach the gospel to, uh, to the Samaritans. But verse six, we see the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by him when they heard the they heard him and saw the signs he did. So these signs demonstrate that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has authority over um, over sin, over sickness, over evil, and that that, that casting out of Satan, which we see in Jesus' own ministry, is here continued. Here is the continuing ministry of Jesus Christ, of the risen Jesus Christ. And they're paying attention to the the content of his message that Jesus is Lord. And there's much joy in that city. They're baptized, as we find later, into the name of Jesus. For the king has come, and that northern kingdom, which which is being reunited, those kingdoms which have been divided in Israel, are being reunited under one king, as the prophets foretold. So there's much joy in the city. The gospel enters, there's great joy. But the gospel enters, and then there's this great shake-up, there's this great challenge. Samaria is now under, it's under new management, it's under the management of Christ, and there are going to be great changes. So Luke here gives us the backstory of what things had been like in Samaria before the Gospel came, and we're introduced to uh, this man Simon, the man named Simon, who'd previously magic, practiced magic. Um, and that's where you get the word magus from, Simon magus. Magus is related to uh, magic. Um, and the, the word is actually a Persian word, so it's connected with these old sort of Babylonian, old ancient Babylonian religion. Um, think of Matthew's gospel and the, the magi from the east, that's the, the plural, they're coming from the east, these uh, these wizards from the east, as, as uh, John Milton put it. Um, so, so when we think of him as, as, a, as a magician, you, you think of the Old Testament and some of those people sort of in the court of the Babylonians, think like of the book of Daniel, or even Pharaoh, those who were in the court of Pharaoh, we think of people really with quite high cultural prominence, quite respected in that culture, and they dealt with uh, occult power, principalities and power. So, so uh, had a genuine power, but from um, from those principalities and, and fallen powers. So it sort of takes us into this this world, which for. I suppose secular humanist Europe feels a bit a bit weird to us because we you know we're sort of raised in this culture where what you see is what you get and all you, the only thing that exists are things that you can sort of see and touch. Well, the Bible gives us this worldview where you know God exists and there are these these powers that exist, and Simon Magus had been been part of that, that whole power. So. He's been there in the city and amazed people uh, with this uh, magic. Uh, And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. See the scope of what he was doing. From the beggar on the street to the judge in his chamber, they paid attention to him, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. This man. So that's quite a write-up, isn't it, for Simon Magus. And it's all focused on him. They all paid attention to him. And for a long time he'd amazed him. So he's a well-established figure there in that culture. He carried significant clout in Samaria. And, um, and now the gospel has come in. So there's this great shake-up. Do you remember what's happened? Verse 6, the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was been said by Philip. There's a change of what the crowd and people are looking at. They're now paying attention to the gospel. They are no longer paying attention to Simon. Uh, The gospel comes and there's this great shake-up. There is a a falling of the principalities and powers um, and a change and transformation in that uh, culture. And so the the focus is now onto Christ, really. When they believe Philip, um, he preaches good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Christ. They're baptising to him, both men and women, and the crowds are going across to trust in Christ. And so the gospel comes in and actually comes into this culture. And do you notice it, It's actually taking away power from people, from those established authorities. And it's something similar happened in, in um, Jerusalem with the religious authorities. Jesus comes in and, and preaches the kingdom of God uh, and the grip that the religious authorities had on the, the culture is, is just broken. And, and we see them at the beginning of Acts. They're so fiercely trying to stamp out the church because they fear that their authority has been taken away and being made to, that their sin is being exposed. And so the gospel today is penetrating this culture and it brings about just this shake-up, this transformation as those who've exercised wickedness and sin are challenged by the light of the gospel. And that happens here in Samaria. But we see that happening in in mission, in cultures, as the gospel penetrates new areas, there's, just a, there's a shake-up, isn't there? There's, there's victory in, in those spiritual realms with the principalities and powers, but then that works out on the ground as the gospel is proclaimed as, as, as the old guard, those who were significant in, in the old religions, are, are challenged and then fight, uh, fight against the gospel. So there's this great shake-up uh, here, um but then we see interestingly verse 13 Simon himself even Simon he believed and after being baptized he continued with Philip Simon Magus uh himself believes think of some of those uh, magicians around in the book of Exodus they they sort of see the finger of god and they turn and and trust in the lord and Simon here has recognized Jesus as lord and and he believes. And, and we're left as we go through this thinking, well, what was the manner of his faith? How much did he really understand? And, and um, so he believed and, and he sees the signs of great miracles performed. He's amazed. And the focus on when we look at Simon, it seems to be not so much of what Philip said, but he seems to be more amazed by these great power, signs of power. And it says he says he continued with Philip as if he's following Philip around, sort of trying to see behind the veil, trying to see how it's, it's done or something. So there's a question mark around Simon, really. And I think Luke may be indicating his faith is, well, he, certainly later on we see his faith is, is defective. Um, so the gospel comes in, and there's this great joy, but then there's this great shake-up. Um, and then Luke, he returns. We leave Simon for a minute, we ret- uh, and, and then... We get him in 14 to seventeen, we see that there's this great really, this unique moment in redemptive history, this this unification of the kingdom under Christ, as the Samaritans are brought in. So verse fourteen, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria received the word, they sent Peter and John, and again again, we see it's the Lord here who is in control of the action it's, it's uh, The apostles are sort of catching up with what the Lord has been doing. Um, And then they they come down and they pray for the Samaritan uh, believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And we're told that he, the Spirit, the Spirit is a person, he had not yet fallen on any of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus. They laid their hands on them. They received the Spirit. And we think, huh, well that is, that's weird. What's going on here? And so what it seems that's going on is that the Lord is withholding the gift of the Spirit to the the Samaritans uh, until the apostles are present. I think this is to demonstrate that the Samaritan church really is included in the one people of God. Uh, that there is one people under Christ. Uh, there's not a sort of uh, Jerusalem church and then a renegade Samaritan church. Remember, they've been divided for, for nigh on a thousand years. And this is to show that they're being knit together. This is uh, the, the gospel brings the unbabling of the world, and this is the, the knitting together of this kingdom under Christ. So when. If you could sort of do a comparison, when the gospel is preached in Jerusalem by uh, Philip, he's said uh, the Spirit is poured out and he preaches the gospel on the day of Pentecost, says, you know, Repent and believe, uh, and you'll receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And people believe in Christ, and there and then they're filled with the Spirit of God. And then you look at this bit and you see what happens. They, they hear about Jesus, they believe in Christ. But then there is this delay, and the apostles come, and there's a delay between when they receive the Spirit. And so God is withholding it so that the apostles can be present, so we can see that this is one uh, united people of God. And we see, as we look on in the book of Acts, we see Luke is is interested to point out these details here. And then when we get a bit later on with the inclusion of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, into the church we see there's a great interest that Luke has. We have chapters of the stuff of showing that actually the non-Jews, the Gentiles could be brought into the church. And again, we have the presence of the apostles there. uh, And then we have the the council of Jerusalem and all that we'll get into that. But there's a great energy and time and and just chapters devoted to show how the, the Gentiles can be brought into the church. And so something similar is happening here to show that they are really in. So this is a great moment in redemptive history. Um, and so, uh, in other words, we, we shouldn't try to, as some people have, uh, read a sort of a, a theology of second blessing into these verses, which some, some have tried to do in the past, as if it's possible for a Christian today to receive Christ, but not receive the Holy Spirit yet. If you have received Christ and believed in him, you have the Holy Spirit. You've got the spirit of adoption by whom you cry, Abba, Father. Okay, there's no delay. Now, we need to continue to be filled with the Spirit and experience the support and strength of the Spirit. But if you're a believer, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, I think more likely today probably is you find people, well you won't find people in this situation, you probably find people in this situation where they think they are Christians, but don't have the Holy Spirit because they are not in fact Christians. People who think, well, I'm a Christian because I live in a Christian country or I kind of am fairly good compared to other people and I'm I'm basically Christian. But actually, uh, being a Christian means responding personally to Jesus Christ, trusting in him, receiving the forgiveness of sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So today we'll find people who think they're Christians, but they don't have the spirit because they are not Christians. (laughs) And so so the the offer of the gospel, if there's anyone listening to this or out there, who is in that condition is like, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, receive the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit, God with us, dwelling in us, and that's where this great joy comes from. From the people, the joy wasn't so much in the, the, the just the outward miracles; it, it was that. Uh, but there's great joy with God Himself being with them. So, um. So, the, the, this is, but here we have this um, unique moment of uh, redemptive history. So, back, and back to Simon Magus now, back to the text of verse 18. Back to Simon the, the magician, or Simon the, the ex magician, as he is now. So, now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offers them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Spirit. So he's converted, he's baptised, he believes the message, but we see there's this really significant holdover from his old pagan background and the the old ways of doing things. He's trying to buy this position of church office, uh, whereby he can sort of exercise authority and power In the church so he wants presumably to go from being in this sort of high position in this pagan system to what he thinks of as a sort of a high position in the christian system and sort of just transfer across and bringing with him this whole understanding of pagan religion with him and so um, he received this incredibly sharp rebuke because the apostles perceive uh, very clearly that this man should be let nowhere near the leadership of this new church, nowhere near. So you see this sharp rebuke in verse uh, 20. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. That's an incredibly sharp rebuke. It's actually like an imprecation. It's like a curse, isn't it? May you perish. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Simon thinks he can buy the spirit or buy the ability to sell, to vend the spirit of God, to bottle and sell forgiveness, to trade in it. And if you know church history, you know that this the corruption comes into the church, and this has happened. People have bought and sold and traded uh, forgiveness. I suppose most famously, before the before the Reformation, people were selling indulgences and just getting rich out of the gospel. And actually, Simon has got a... He has a sin, a whole class of sins, you may know, which are named after him. Uh, the sin of simony, which is the the purchasing... Of ecclesiastical office it's called simony and people would do this they'd buy up bishoprics why well to get power and status and money you buy the stuff so you know you're you know you're on a bad track don't you if you have a whole class of sins named after you that, that is bad isn't it and simon has this sin named after him and it's just hideous when you think about this terrible abuse And so um, the apostles, they just see this. They say, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, uh, in this ministry, laying hands on people, uh, exercising this apostolic ministry. For your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. They see it. And this is interesting. Pray to the Lord that if possible, it's not a foregone conclusion. He's standing in danger. If possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? We need, we, we some, we need to pray sometimes that the intents of our heart is forgiven. It's not just outward actions that the Lord sees. He sees the motives of our hearts. He searches our hearts. He sees the intent of our hearts. And we need to be cleansed from often our motives. If possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. So Simon stands in danger I mean, you remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Spirit. Simon stands in this dangerous position. Um, and Peter continues, For I I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Simon sees under the surface, Simon Peter sees under the surface, sorry, um, to see what is really going on in this man's life. There's bitterness. He feels hurt. Simon Magus feels hatred. Uh, Perhaps he feels this loss of position quite keenly. He's in the bond of iniquity. He's bound with sin. Many people are set free from their sin. He's still got this going on. And Peter says, look, I see it. Now, it may be that other people didn't see it. It may be that Simon Magus was just a very winsome character, a gifted communicator. People paid attention to him. And he may have looked like the ideal candidate for leadership in the Samaritan church. But Peter, uh, Peter, with his discernment, sees what is really going on. He sees that it would be an absolute disaster if this man was in church leadership. And so Simon, he seems to, seems to take it on board, at least in part, verse 24. Pray for me to the Lord that some kind of contrition, that nothing what you've said may come upon me, um, and then Luke leaves it. It's open-ended. What happened to Simon? We don't really know. There's a, there's a tradition in the church that he went on to Rome and founded a, a sort of a heretical sect of Gnosticism. Well, we don't really know. It leaves it open-ended. He receives this stinging rebuke. Does he repent? Well, I like to think at least he might have repented. Like You think Peter himself, the apostle Peter, was on the receiving end of some stinging rebukes. From the Lord Jesus, get behind me Satan you do not have in mind the things of God Peter was on the end of a stinging rebuke and he repented or later on Paul had to confront Peter so there is a possibility praise God that we could be on the receiving end of of rebukes and correction and repent did Simon repent, well we're not told whether he repented but I think it's pretty clear that what he didn't do was take up leadership in the church in Samaria, he was just Completely barred from the leadership, and then we see the apostles, and then are happy to they move on, and we find them preaching the gospel elsewhere, and that's we see the triumph and progress of the gospel in that last section as the continuation of the gospel. And so I think Simon Magus he just stands for the church as a real warning to us um, uh, that some people seek office in the church. for wicked motives for wicked motivations and the church needs discernment and wisdom in those that it appoints as pastors or as elders those who are officers in the church Because it's not the case that just because someone is successful in the world uh, that they're going to make a great leader in the church. Sometimes we just think that. I mean, how many celebrity pastors who blow up a ministry do we need before we stop and think, yeah, maybe we should just look at the Bible and consider what are the biblical requirements for leadership and eldership rather than just adopting those uh, ways of, of the culture around us. And this is quite a theme, actually, that Luke develops in the book of Acts, even, uh, there's an interest in uh, leadership and uh, good leadership and bad leadership. We see the apostles held up as those who exercise a godly, sacrificial leadership, who didn't get rich out of it. Remember, Peter says um, in chapter 3 of, of Acts, he says, money and gold I do not have. He exercised this massive ministry, didn't get rich out of it. And, and in chapter 20 in Acts, uh, Paul is saying, um, your, your, your riches, your silver, your gold, I didn't covet. and my own hands, I, w- I worked hard. Um, he's offering himself as a model of leadership. And then he says to the elders in Ephesus, yeah, after I'm gone, savage wolves will come into the church to devour the flock. And so there's a warning, isn't there, that we see through the book of Acts that people come into the church uh, for their own gain. They're in the Christian ministry for their own status, for their own wealth, uh, and they abuse the flock and tear apart the flock and so there's this is warning we see it in acts and actually we see it in or we see it in the, in the letters in, in 2 Corinthians Paul is dealing with this kind of thing and we see it in the pastoral epistles there's a great theme in the new testament and we we're going to be preaching uh, as we move into sort of into September on into beginning at the pastoral epistles because our prayer is that we'd actually have a biblical uh, leadership which is based on Christ and sacrificial service and based on what he's revealed in his word, and not just be mindlessly adopting the ways of the culture around us. So this Simon, there's a lot to say here, but he stands as a warning to the church. And it's a great grief, isn't it, when we see see people who are in positions of authority in the church abusing that authority. And we've sadly seen that in in the history of Gloucester Diocese, if you know about that, the, the, the Bishop of Gloucester was in prison for 32 months for for abusing young men in his care, and he used his position of power to wreak havoc on the lives of so many people. He's kind of the, the you know the Jimmy Savile of the Church of England, um, and that's round here. And it happens. It's not just the Church of England. It happens across denominations. Satan attacks the church through trying to corrupt the leadership of the church and so when we pray deliver us from evil that is a very sober and serious thing we need to be praying for pray for michael pray for myself pray for us as we seek to grow that god in his mercy would establish godly leadership here and across the denomination that as churches are planted that we will be guarded from this kind of thing and that we'll be diligent to study as we look at the book of acts some of these things and see these dynamics so that and why well, so that God might bless the flock. We see the great joy that there was in Samaria as they received the gospel. And praise God, the apostles were there and that joy was preserved for a time. It wasn't corrupted, wasn't it? That's what we want to see. Uh, men and women set free from sin in the church. Men and women careful, for children raising up to be blessed and to know the gospel of Christ, to know the love of the good shepherd and not to see that spoiled or corrupted. So we begin, as we move through the book of Acts, it's just sort of a highlight of these, uh, some of these themes which we will um, we'll come back to. So it's, a, it's this wonderful chapter with this kind of sting in the tail and things to, to think about for us. And so we, we gather to a close. We see uh, God's sovereign direction of the gospel, which is such an encouragement for us. We see that the shake-up, the transformation of the culture. We see great joy. Uh, We also see this warning of the possibility that uh, the churches are formed that there can be that can be corrupted, and the need to pray for the preservation of uh, of the flock and the guarding of the flock. And so much for us to to reflect on, much for us to pray for uh, as we close. So let me pray uh, before we then come to uh, sing together. You've been listening to the Sermon podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres that's dot